Another eventful show here. We go around the American in about 10 minutes, and not just with football, but of course basketball, volleyball. We know who's going to the NCAA tournament, and soccer is officially done because Tulsa was defeated over the weekend. Oh yeah, coaching news as well. Not just on the field stuff in football, but both SMU and Temple making a coaching change. Well, SMU's Sonny Dykes made the change for the Mustangs by taking the job at TCU. And rather interesting that Oklahoma reportedly was also talking to Dykes, but he had already committed to the Horned Frogs, who, of course, needed to replace longtime coach Gary Patterson. So Dykes moves on. SMU kind of grinded to a halt at the end of the season, but still 30-17 and 17 over four years. A Texas guy, obviously, and uh, the leader of a exciting offense with the Mustangs. Consistently, we saw a bunch of that already. Rhett Lashley has been named the new head coach of the Mustangs. He was the Miami Hurricanes offensive coordinator. And oh, by the way, former SMU offensive coordinator under Dykes 2018 and 2019, the latter of which was a record-setting season and got him the job at Miami. So he comes right back to the Mustangs for his first head coaching position. Temple, and we saw how this went down with the Owls, talking about going downhill at the end of the season. They have dismissed their head coach, Rod Carey, 3-9 and nine this season after that 3-3 three and three start, 12-20 and 20 over three seasons. Carey magnanimous in a statement on the Temple website saying, I'm thankful to Temple and the Temple community for my time here. I wish all the student-athletes nothing but success in their lives moving forward. There's a great nucleus of young players here, and I'm anxious to watch them play. I will certainly be an Owls fan moving forward. Right now, assistant coach Thad Ward is the interim head coach. How about on-the-field stuff? How about Cincinnati getting the job done? Yes, maybe a little needing to get the style points. 35-13, a convincing-sounding final score against East Carolina. Of course, Cincinnati scored in the last few minutes. 28-13 sounds okay. 35-13 sounds better. Of course, the Pirates were two touchdown underdogs, so they were very much respected and expected to keep it close and did. But again, Desmond Ritter throws for 301 yards. He was picked off a couple times. But here's why I think Cincinnati is a legitimate playoff team, the defense. They are hard to throw the ball on. Holton Aylers have been racking up, racking up this game. 19 for 38, obviously just 50%, and only 228 yards. And they were in throwing mode quite a bit in this game. They also had a blocked field goal that Sauce Gardner returned in the fourth quarter to make it 28-6. Bearcats turned it over twice inside the ECU 5, or maybe would have scored some more points. But I think it'll score enough points with the college football playoff committee. And I was at a place the other day with my wife finally being able to just watch some football on a Saturday night and heard guy at the bar telling everybody Cincinnati is not going to get in. Notre Dame is going to get in. Almost positive he had no idea that Cincinnati beat Notre Dame, but I think the committee will pay attention to that right now, the way things are going. Especially with Ohio State losing to Michigan, it would just be almost unconscionable for the Bearcats not to make the Final Four, unless, of course, they lose to Houston, and they will be hosting them this week. I'd say an eye or two will be on Nippert Stadium for the 4 o'clock game. It will be nationally televised this Saturday on ABC. Again, the regular season is over. It's just conference championships and FCS playoffs this week. The rest of the final week of American Athletic Conference games, how about Tulsa earning bowl eligibility, beating that SMU team 
And you can't say the Mustangs checked out. They were up 17-0 in this game, but Tulsa scored the next 31 to defeat them 34-31 in a wild contest, SMU. Got a couple of fourth-quarter touchdowns, scored with 2.50 to go, but Tulsa got the ensuing onside kick. Memphis also becomes bowl eligible. Wasn't exactly a big crowd at the Liberty Bowl, but they saw them defeat the two-lane team that, of course, got the Bulls in a very good game, 33-28. Tell you more about their offensive prowess in that game when we get to the weekly honors here shortly. Navy finished off Temple in its own season at 3-8. and Navy defeats the Owls easily 38-14. That game was in Philadelphia, and of course the vibe there sort of produced the decision to let go of their head coach Rod Carey, as we told you. And stepping out of conference, Houston had no issues, nor would anybody, but they went to East Hartford, Connecticut. Must have been a lovely day. They defeat the Yukon Huskies, old rival 45 to 17 East Carolina incidentally has already accepted a bid to the military bowl Annapolis Maryland they were there in 2010 broke the attendance record at the time with 38,000 there's plenty of ties with the Pirates they have six players from the Washington DC area and of course their coach Mike Houston coached at James Madison right there in Virginia to the national championship in 2017. So more bowl bids will be handed out later on this week the final standings incidentally in the conference of course, Cincinnati and Houston both 8-0, UCF, East Carolina, and how about Tulsa rallying back to 5-3. and They all finished in a three-way tie there for third place, all 500 or above, so that's five bowl eligible. Then you add SMU as the sixth and Memphis as the seventh. Mustangs finished 4-4 four and four in the conference, 8-4 and four overall. Tigers are actually below 500 in the league at 3-5, and five, but 6-6 six and six overall. Navy actually finished tied with Memphis, technically, for seventh place, but they lost all their non-conference games. The midshipmen were 3-8. and eight, And three teams all went 1-7 in the league. Temple, USF, and Tulane. Final weekly honor, Seth Hennigan, the true freshman quarterback for Memphis. 27-42 of 42 for 336 yards and three touchdowns in the narrow win against Tulane defensive Sauce Gardner. Yep, held East Carolina to its lowest point total with 13. Had a season high of eight tackles and two PBUs along with his blocked field goal return. Memphis kicker David Kemp had two field goals, also three extra points in the win against Tulane. And your five on the honor roll, one from UCF, Tatum Bethune. Career-high 18 tackles for the linebacker, Des Ritter. Houston quarterback Clayton Toome. Navy running back Chance Warren, who had two touchdown receptions. And Tajay Spears. It's always running backs and quarterbacks, isn't it? Oh, well. Spears, the running back for Tulane. We warned you about going into the Bulls' Green Wave game, and he kept it on going against Memphis. A career-high 264 yards and two touchdowns. That's the fourth-best single-game performance in Green Wave history. After we've recorded the first Around the American that ran early on Monday afternoon, two things. First of all, I failed to mention Army-Navy, so when I said Navy's final record, obviously there's one more game. Just from a conference perspective, that has nothing to do with the military branch, just football now. And we said Memphis was bowl eligible. The Tigers, since the recording of the first conference show, accepted an invite to the Hawaii Bowl. Kind of a no-brainer to accept that one. Friday, December the 24th, Christmas in Hawaii, they will play against a team from the Mountain West. Go Memphis for obvious reasons there. We said that the soccer season is done as far as the American goes. They're down to the Elite Eight, and Tulsa just missed a chance to get there, losing to West Virginia in the 6-versus-11 game. Mountaineers score off of a corner kick in the second overtime. Man, did Tulsa have a great chance to win it 
in the first overtime. Their star player, or at least one of their star players, Malik Henry Scott, had one come to his left foot about eight yards from goal, and he just skied it over, something that I didn't see happen when Tulsa played USF, but maybe in a little pressure situation. It was a huge crowd. Tulsa's 16 wins ends up tying the program record set during their Elite Eight season in 2008, and they came up just short. Tulsa was tremendous all season long, ended up 16-2-1. Volleyball, kind of what we said all year long, the decision to not have a conference tournament I think might have cost Houston a shot at making the NCAA tournament. They actually beat UCF earlier this year and were up two sets against the Knights. This was a few days ago, Friday, and if they were able to hold on and win that, they probably get an at-large, but it was their last shot. UCF crushed them in the fourth set, 25-8, and then 15-8 in the fifth. And I guess Houston didn't have any interest in the volleyball version of the WNIT because they tweeted out after that match. Tough way to end our season. They clearly would have gotten an invite. They were the second-best team in the conference, but they checked out. Tulsa, in fact, is the only team from the conference that is going to the NIVC, and they actually lost their last match of the year Friday night at home to SMU. The four-setter, the last two set scores were 28-26, 26-24, so Tulsa must have just thought, that's a tough way to end our season, but they got an invite, despite being 14-15. and 15. So yeah, Houston would have definitely gone to this tournament, but obviously they declined the invitation, so only two volleyball teams are in the postseason UCF. Probably assumed it was either going to host or be somewhere in the state. Nope, Los Angeles, where they'll go up against Pepperdine first on Friday night. We'll talk more about that on Friday's show. Final standings in volleyball, incidentally, UCF 19-1, Houston five games back at 15-5 in second place. Cincinnati and SMU ended up at 14-6, tied for third. Wichita fourth place at 13-7, and and the sixth place team was Tulane. So, and all of those teams were above 500, again, Tulsa. Seventh place, nine and eleven in the conference, and fourteen and fifteen overall. So something tells me that those other four teams, along with Houston, all had a chance to extend their seasons and said no thank you, but the Golden Hurricane did. And of course, probably shouldn't have to tell you this, but a UCF player wins the final player of the week, and she will definitely be the conference player of the year because she's the best player. There's no debating it. It's McKenna Melville from UCF. I thought they might give it to somebody else the last time, but no. She did have 24 kills in the comeback win against Houston. We finished with basketball and honestly not the best weekend for the conference because on Friday, upstart Memphis got drubbed by Iowa State 78-59 at a game in Brooklyn. Then on Saturday, Cincinnati loses at home to Monmouth. The Bearcats have been off to a great start. UCF battled Oklahoma but lost 65-62. That's actually a pretty good loss, as it were. And the two teams that won against inferior opposition barely won. East Carolina beats Coppin State 70-68 at home, and Temple edges Delaware at home 75-74. Sunday, SMU took down Louisiana Monroe 74-67, but really the only good win for the conference. You can't count Tulsa over Little Rock on Friday night would be Wichita State winning in Missouri 61-55. Now that was a good win, and... Again, Tyson Etienne led the way 13 of his 18 points in the second half. They were up by 13 with 90 seconds to go. Kind of clanked some free throws. Only 9 of 20 for the game, but Missouri was just 2 of 18 on threes. In fact, player of the week went to Khalif Battle of Temple. He had a go-ahead three with two minutes to go and scored 31 points. That'll do it. 
And really, I should be fair to Monmouth, which beat Cincinnati. Monmouth is 5-1. and one. Remember, they had that great season not too long ago. Houston, Memphis, and Wichita all at 5-1. and one. UCF, 4-1. and one. Cincinnati and East Carolina both at 5-2. and two. Tulsa, 4-2. and two. Basically, everybody in the conference is above 500, but for Temple at 3-3 three and three and Tulane at 2-4, and four, we saw Tulane in person at the Bahamar event, the men's version, obviously. They had issues closing games, or they'd be 4-2. and two. Won their first game, had Toledo, but gave up a late hoop. And then against Valpo in the third-place game, they were up by 12 and just couldn't quite close the door. So on the women's side, Tulsa is your only 6-0 and o team. Now, they haven't played a great schedule, but they got a new head coach, and they're feeling good about life. Memphis is also a surprising 6-1. and one. Tulane off to that same start. So five teams actually have better records than the Bulls, but yeah, competition level a little bit different. That's why the Bulls are number 13 in the new AP poll, and no one else is ranked. But overall record, also UCF and Wichita are 5-1. and one. East Carolina's at 4-3. and three. Everybody else is right on 3-3 three and three except one below 500 team, Houston, but the Cougars actually, again, probably have one of the more impressive schedules. So it'll be interesting to see how things actually fare when the teams go up against each other as we are about a month away from that. Wrapping up the busy weekend while the Bulls were winning on Friday against Stanford, Tulsa, mentioned undefeated, was winning against FAU 70-68. to They followed that up the next day with the win against Austin P 69-61 to again. Governors, a three and three team. Granted, Tulsa beat them to get them to three and three. <laughs> Reminds me of the Bucks after they beat the Colts, and people were saying, "Eh, Colts are a five hundred team. Not impressed. Not Super Bowl chat. Really? First of all, if the Colts had beaten the Bucks, they'd be seven and five, not five hundred. It was the Bucks that made them five hundred. You know what I'm saying? And secondly, they were down by 10, and the Colts had the ball to start the second half. I, anyway, I digress. I thought that was an impressive win in Tulsa. No matter the opponent, in this case, is still 6-6. Six and six. 38 points in the paint, 24 off of turnovers, so they dominated a lot of key stats there. Houston was playing a little bit tougher of competition and mentioned the Cougars below 500 after losing twice over the weekend. First to a solid Fordham team, 67-53. And then Baylor, which is a top-5 team, got the Houston Cougars 74-58. to Memphis wins a thriller in overtime to cap a Thanksgiving classic out in Los Angeles, beating Penn 73-68 in overtime. That was at the LMU Classic the day before they had defeated the host, Lions, 73-65. Tulane went 2-0 in Denver, taking down a pretty good Wyoming team first, 73-67, getting a career-high 18 points from Mia Heidi. Then the great Moon Urson, the big transfer from Baylor, 22 points and 13 rebounds. She is sensational. They beat Corpus Christi 81-71. to And UCF playing in the Cancun Challenge as well. It's always a separate event of teams. Rolled Idaho State, which came in 1-4, 58-41. But then a tougher opponent and a nice win for UCF, beating Southern Cal 56-47. Diamond Battles was named the MVP of that Riviera division, averaged 18.5 points. And in non-tournament action, it was Wichita State defeating Alcorn State 90-49 to to go to 5-1 and on the season. And nice win for Temple against one of its rivals in the Big Five, Villanova, 68-62. That'll wrap it up for Around the American. Thanks for listening, and thanks for checking us out on SoundCloud on the Unlimited Unloaded page. I'm Derek Sharp.